What's going on, Valley Christian Church? It's great to see all of you guys here today. I'm Stephen Francis, filling in for Dr. Greg as we finish our series of thrones, Who's on the Throne of Your Heart? That is right, ladies and gentlemen, today is the final chapter of our summer-long series of the study of the book of Judges. Now, I hope you guys have learned something. I know I definitely have. And I believe that today's message will be just as impactful as the other ones before that. But before we go into the content of today's message, I just want to ask a quick question in here. Do we have anybody in here that is on social media? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anybody in here? All right, awesome, awesome. I am also on there. Quick uh, shameless plug, please feel free to like us on Facebook here at Valley Christian Church and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You'll be able to keep up with a lot of the cool things that we're doing here that you could be a part of. But I'll be honest with all of you guys, I had a point in my life where I actually wanted to no longer be on Facebook because of a particular situation that happened to me. See, my senior year of high school, I got my first pay Facebook page, and I was excited about it, and I got my Facebook page because there was a group on Facebook where I'd be able to connect with people that were going to be in my freshman class at Liberty University, the college that I was attending. It was Liberty University class of 2012, and not only would I be able to meet people that were going to be in my graduating class, but I could even talk with people that might be in some of my freshman classes. So I thought it was cool. I thought it was great. I thought social media was awesome. And I get a friend request from a particular random person. Now, everybody here, if you've been on Facebook long enough, knows that Facebook request from that random person that makes you wonder, should I accept this person? Should I not? I don't know. But I was like, you know what? Maybe he's a cool guy. So I clicked accept. All right? So I never talked to this person. We never have any communication past that. And some time goes on. And I'm finally a freshman at Liberty University. I'm super excited. I, I can't wait to meet all these cool new people. And I'll never forget, I was in the cafeteria waiting in line for my lunch. And I hear someone say, hey, Steven. Now I look around to see who it was. And I see this guy that's coming towards me. And at first, I didn't know who it was. But then I realized it was the random guy that I liked, or, or excuse me, that I accepted on my Facebook page. And he comes up to me, he's like, hey, man, how you doing? Listen, uh, I'm such and such. Remember you accepted my uh, page on Facebook, my friend request. Man, you are just not as tall as your pictures made you out to be. So I'm super offended right now. Like, I think I'm a very tall person on the inside, but it, it's, not, it's not the point. But he continues to go on. He starts saying, hey, man, it's, it's great to finally meet you. It's like, did you have a great summer vacation? Uh, I saw that you did a lot of things with your three sisters. Uh, I think uh, one was Michelle and one was Nikki and one was Adrian, right? The youngest one was pretty cute. I can't lie. You got to hook a brother up. And how was your vacation to Puerto Rico? That must have been a great time, too. By the way, I saw on your Facebook page that you like Batman. There's a Batman movie coming out. Maybe we should watch it together. And he's smiling and having a good old time, but in my mind, I am freaking out. <laughs> because I'm like, this guy clearly has been Facebook stalking me. I have no idea what his intentions are. This is becoming super weird. And the thing that happened here is the same thing that all of us know here that have been on social media, is that just because we are Facebook friends does not actually mean that we are friends. And the truth is, Facebook is great and it's a fun form along with other social media as a way of interacting. But it can deceptively think that you know somebody 
when you actually only know about them. In similar fashion, I believe that there are people that believe they know God, but in actuality, they only know about him. Today's message is going to talk about the dangers of just only knowing about God, certain aspects of God, as opposed to actually knowing God. And this message that I'm calling today, Instability from Imagination. Now, this story has two parts to it. And before I continue, I need to make a huge disclaimer to everybody that's in here that today's message in the story of Judges is extremely graphic and troubling. And I'm going to do my best as a pastor to communicate this story to you. But at the end of the day, there's no way of getting around the wickedness that takes place in this story. The story has two parts to it. The first part is about a guy named Micah. Micah is not a judge. He's not a ruler over Israel or anything. He's just some random guy. And Micah steals money from his mom. His mom being upset about this money that was stolen from her, not knowing that it was her son, prays a curse upon whoever it was that stole the money. Now, Micah doesn't want to have a curse on his life, so he confesses to his mom that he stole this money. And his mom, being happy that he confessed and that she has this money back, decides to use it for a very unique purpose. She decides to use this money to create an image of God that they can worship. Micah helps build this image of God and even gets a priest to be in charge of this uh, statue of God for them to worship. Some men come in the middle of the night and they steal the statue so that they can worship this statue of God for themselves. And then the story's over. This story at first, when you hear it, comes off kind of insignificant, comes off random even. But what, we're happening, what is happening here is an image of the instability of Israel. Yes, we're looking at one family uh, and what they're doing, but this was put in as a description of the way of Israel's hearts were at that time. See, God says multiple times before Judges and many times after Judges that there is never supposed to be a graven image made of him. And the reason why God never wants an image made of him is because there's no human way possible we could ever capture all of God's character and glory in an image. And we, being humans that are very image-driven, won't look to the God of who he truly is, but we'll look to the God that was made in the way that we would like him to be. See, it would be very easy to make a God that's very strong and authoritative, but we would completely miss out on the fact that God is also loving and compassionate. We could also try to make an image of God of him being happy and, and joyful, but we would completely miss that he is a God also of wrath against sin and a God of justice. There's no physical way possible we as human beings could ever create a holistic image of all that God is. So instead, what we would do inevitably is just create an image of God based on our imagination of how we believe he should be. And we would worship that imagination of God instead of the actual God himself. See, the series is called Thrones, Who's on the Throne of Your Heart? And I believe that on the throne of many people's hearts is not the actual one true God, 
but the God of their imagination. The God that they hope and prefer him to be. And by the way, let me say this. I know that there's some people that may come from a Catholic background or you may have some picture of Jesus in your house or on your necklace. Please understand what I'm saying. I'm talking about God the Father here. God the Son is the image of the invisible God. It's okay to have a picture of Jesus. People saw Jesus. They made pictures of Jesus because of all that he's done. That's different. But no man has ever seen the Lord, so it is impossible for us to ever depict in a picture who God really is. And this imagination of God that we create causes for us also to believe that whatever it is that we do, that this God of our imagination believes is also okay. Which is why after they create this image of God, this verse pops up in Judges 17, verse 6. In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So now we reach the second part of the story. The second part of the story begins with a priest. And this priest lives in the tribe of Levi. Now for anyone who isn't aware, Israel is divided into 12 tribes. And you can associate these 12 tribes the same way you would associate maybe the five boroughs of New York City. People grow up there, live there. They're proud to represent where they are from there. So, Brooklyn all day. I wish I was from Brooklyn. Anyway. <laughs> They got great food. But um, there's a priest from the tribe of Levi. And this priest decides that he wants to have a concubine. For anyone who doesn't know what a concubine is, a concubine is the cross between a wife and a prostitute. It was someone that you would pay for to live in your home for sexual favors. So he purchases a concubine from the tribe of Benjamin. But this concubine doesn't actually like this priest, so she cheats on him with somebody else and then runs back home to the tribe of Benjamin where she's from. The priest, obviously being upset about this, goes back to pick her up. And he stays there for a couple days. And after being there for a couple days, he finally gets the concubine to come back with him. But when they try to leave to go back to the tribe of Levi, they leave so late in the day that there's no way for them to make it through the night. You know, there was no headlights or anything on donkeys back then, so they had to stop. So they stop in this place called Gibeah, still the tribe of Benjamin, but a town in the tribe of Benjamin called Gibeah. And at that time, there were no hotels or motels, so what you had to do was stand in the city square where people would see that you needed a place to stay, and they would welcome you into their home. It was Airbnb in the B.C. <laughs> Interestingly enough, no one is inviting this priest and this concubine to stay with them. Scholars believe that this tribe or this, this village in the tribe of Benjamin was very closed off and did not like outsiders, and we'll see that to be true in a moment. Eventually, an older man sees them, and he says, hey, how about you guys come stay at my place? So they stay at his place, and some people hear about them being housed at this older man's house. And a group of men decide to go up to this house, and they start banging on the door, trying to break in, saying, give us the priest that you have staying with you so we can rape him. And their intention to rape this priest was to be sure that him and everyone that he told would never come to Gibeah. 
the priest and the older man don't want this to happen. But instead of them trying to fight them off or doing anything to defend themselves, they instead give these men outside the concubine, who was a woman with feelings and hopes and dreams. They throw this woman outside where she is sexually assaulted by these men the entire night. The next morning, the priest wakes up and he opens the door to see this woman laid on the floor unresponsive. The priest picks up the woman, puts her on his donkey, and rides back to the tribe of Levi. The priest is upset, he feels embarrassed, and he wants to get payback for what happened. But he doesn't know how to do it in a way that will really justify his anger. So he comes up with an idea, and horrifically, he cuts the woman into pieces and mails parts of her all over Israel to all the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes receive packages of this woman and they are horrified. And there's basically a meeting for the uh, state of Israel to come together and figure out what's going on here. They invite the priest and they tell the priest to tell them what happened. And the priest tells them what happens but completely misses the point where he mentions that he was the one that also gave this concubine away to be brutally sexually assaulted. Nevertheless, what he says is enough for these people of Israel to be so angry that they form an army and they go to the tribe of Benjamin saying, give us the people that are responsible for this crime. But the tribe of Benjamin looks out for their own and have a no snitching policy. So they don't give these people up. So the tribe of Benjamin then forms their own army. And the 11 tribes say, you know what, not only are we about to go to war with these people in Benjamin, but we are going to be sure that our daughters never marry anyone from Benjamin because these people are wicked and evil. So a war breaks out between the tribe of Benjamin and then the tribes of Israel. And the tribe of Benjamin begins to get victory, but eventually the tribes of Israel overcome them. But instead of just killing the soldiers in their army, they kill every woman and child and every man except for 600 men from the tribe of Benjamin that were able to escape and hide in the desert. The tribes of Israel think they did the right thing, but a few days later, guilt starts to set in. And they realize that they've done something awful. So they have another meeting to figure out how to fix what happens. Someone in the meeting says, hey, listen, uh, there's 600 guys in the desert. I think we should go apologize to them and figure out a way for them to come back. Then someone else says, yeah, but they don't have any wives, so what exactly are they going to come back to? Maybe if there was a city within our tribes that didn't help kill any of these people in Benjamin, maybe we can use the woman from there to give to them as a peace offering. And they find a city called Jabesh Gilead. And again, they kill every child and every man and every woman except for the young virgins. And they give the young virgins to these men in the desert as a peace offering. The problem is they're 200 women short. So again, they have a third meeting. And they say to themselves, okay, now what do we do? 
Well, then someone else comes up with an idea. Hey, you know, there's this festival that's coming. And at this festival, there's these virgin girls that do this ceremonial dance for the people that are in this village. How about this? We tell the 200 men that are left over to hide in the trees, to hide in the woods of the surrounding village. And when this ceremony occurs, when these uh, virgins dance before this huge bonfire, this huge celebration ceremony, these men can come in. And if they can manage to kidnap one of those women, that will be their wife. And they believe that's the right decision. And that's what happens. The festival happens. The dance occurs. Men come out the trees, the woods, and kidnap these women to be their wives. And then the story of Judges ends. But the last words of the book of Judges is this. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It ends the same way it did when Micah made an image of God. This story, to me, is one of the hardest stories to read in all of the Bible. And what shocks me the most about this message is that these were supposed to be the people of God. If anybody knew better, it would have been them. It should have been them. I think so many times we're scared of people that don't believe in God. But I think sometimes the scariest thing is what people will think is okay to do in the name of God. And we not just... We don't just see this in the book of Judges, but this is actually a cycle that happens again in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we make it to Romans. And Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was writing to these churches that were scattered throughout Rome. Some were Jews, some were Gentiles. And Paul begins to talk about this situation that occurred, this thing that he saw happen to this group of people. And we don't know who these group of people are, but we can't help but feel like there's a connection here with what's happening in Judges that's also being spoken about in Romans. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to read these verses, and you can follow along in your Valley app or on the screen. But I don't just want you to follow along, but really look for the ways that this kind of connects with everything that we just heard here in Judges 21. First part, Judges 1, starting at verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. This part is the people of Israel for sure. They not only have seen God do mighty things, but they pray to God. They've, they, they've encountered the power of God. They are without excuse of not knowing who God is. But then something else happens, and this is what we see here in verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they didn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. 
the God of their imagination. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Exactly what happened with Micah. Exactly the condition of Israel later on towards the first part of the story that we talked about today. They had an image of God. They knew the true image of God, but instead they changed it for something that they imagined would be better and more fitting. But then these next few verses happen, starting at verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. Amen. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The second part of Judges is exactly the depiction of the people that we see described here in Romans. A vicious dark cycle that starts when you turn the one true God into the God of your imagination. And the thing about this is that the God of your imagination will always cause for you to think whatever you do is justified. And what scares me the most is that we don't just see this in Judges. We don't just see this in Romans, but we see this in our culture today. As I was studying for this message and I was thinking about just how horrific this story is and realizing that many of us are kind of desensitized now to horrific news. We know tragedy many times all too well. And this caused me to come to this realization. I want to name off some recent tragedies uh, for your remembrance and something that all of these tragedies have in common. The first one, Christina Grimmie, the voice singer who was shot while signing autographs by a crazed fan. The second, the Orlando shootings. 49 people who were shot and 53 wounded at a club by someone who was a religious radical. Nice, France, where over 80 people were killed by a truck that drove through the streets, a closed street where people were celebrating a festival, but this religious radical person thought it was time for him to praise his God by doing whatever this horrific thing is. Out in Sterling, and Fernando Castile, two unarmed men shot and killed on camera, and one with a child in the back seat. That caused an uproar and a divide in our country that some people feel like they haven't seen since the 60s, which eventually led to the Dallas and Baton Rouge shootings, where five Dallas police officers and three from Baton Rouge were killed just for doing their jobs. If the writer of Judges was living today, I believe he would also say that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
And you know, if I can be honest, there may be some people in here today that feel like, man, you know, I see what you're saying, Pastor Steve, but I'm not a violent person. I would never do these wicked things that are being talked about in Romans that have recently happened in, uh, in recent history. By the way, uh, I mentioned that all of these things have something in common. What tragically all of these things happen, have in common is that these are just the things that happened during our throne series. This is just the stuff that happened from June to today. Not since the beginning of the year, and God forbid, may not be the last of what we see. But there are some people here that they, they feel bad about this, but at the same time, they also know, Pastor Steve, I'm not that type of person. I would never do these things. But the God of your imagination will cause you to do a lot of things to the people around you that you may feel like is the right decision in the moment, but when people look back on it, they could say, why would someone do such a horrible thing? There are people in here that believe that God just wants them to be happy. So if that means getting a divorce and leaving their family, then that's just what it means. There's people that feel like they prayed about it and have a peace about moving in together with someone that is not their wife or their husband. There's people here that believe that it doesn't matter what you believe because all roads lead to God. Even though God said in his word that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father except through him. There are people that believe that it doesn't matter what you do. You can do whatever you want because God's just going to forgive you anyway. And that's a gross distortion of the grace that he's been given to us. So my challenge for you guys today is how do you make sure that you are serving the one true God and not the God of your imagination? I believe there's three practical ways to be sure that we do this. The first thing that we need to do, and this is the first point in your valley notes, is to read with intention to receive. The best way to know God is the best way to know anybody else. You take the time to get to know him. One of the best ways that you can do that is by reading his scriptures, looking into how he has communicated to us his character and understanding more of how he wants to interact with us. And I know that there's a lot of people here that is like, you know what, I've tried to read the Bible, but it just feels like another book. You know, I've tried to get into the scriptures, but I just don't even know where to start. Well, if you're looking for a place to start, you can always start with one of the Gospels, or you can start with 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But for anybody that feels like they're not getting anything out of the scriptures, I want to encourage you with a prayer today that didn't come from me, but came from a pastor named John Piper, who's a pastor in Minnesota, and it's called the IOUs. And the IOUs go like this. The first one, I, for incline my heart to you, not to prideful gain or any false motive. And that is to focus my affections and desires upon you and take away everything in me that would oppose that focus. The second is, oh, for open my eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. That is, let your light shine and show me what you have willed to communicate through your word. The next is you. For unite my heart to fear your name. That is, enthrall me with who you are. 
And the next one, S, for satisfy me with your steadfast love. That is, fulfill me with the fact that you are love, that your love has been poured out on me through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This prayer is in your Valley Notes for anybody that is following along in the Valley app that you can go back to later and pray before you read the scriptures. And this is not only a way for you to invite God into your time of reading the scriptures, but also prepares your heart to look to receive something from God while you're reading the scriptures. Causing for you no longer to just read this out of habit or out of duty, but to read this in, in the perspective of trying to have a relationship. The next thing we need to do is have times of abiding and asking prayer. Now we pray all the time especially here in church, but uh, that's what asking prayer is, usually asking God for something, seeking him for something. But what is abiding prayer? Abiding prayer is not really us asking for God to give us something, but more just asking for God himself in our lives to see more of his character, once again through his scriptures, to walk closer to him, to understand who he is within the midst of the things that we're going through. And again, in your Valley apps, I, I, I've put something in there so that the next time you want to go about having an abiding prayer time, you can start your prayers with just specific wording that can help put you on the right track for what an abiding prayer time is. But the abiding prayer time, once again, is for you just to seek God and just to know more of him better and to understand his character deeper in your life. And when you have more abiding prayer, it also makes it easy for you to have asking prayer. Where you ask God for bold things, ask God things continuously. But now you're no longer just praying out of petition or out of religious duty, but you're praying to God knowing his character. Knowing who it is you actually serve. And the last thing we need to do is we need to pursue an awe of God through worship. I believe there are moments in life with the people around us that cause us to recapture an affection for them. There are things that my wife will say and do that cause me to be filled with just love and affection for her all over again as if it's the first time. And that's usually when she let me watch sports, but there's other moments as well. There may be people in here that have kids and your kid probably has done something. Maybe they did something for you or they made you a project for our birthday or for Father's Day, Mother's Day that caused you to just be filled with affection for your kid all over again. Maybe even caused that affection to grow. And I believe the same way we can experience that with someone we love intimately and with our children, we can also experience that with God our Father. And I think one of the great ways that that happens is through worship. You know one of the reasons why I love worship is because it's not just an opportunity before we actually get to the preaching for us to do some crazy crowd karaoke type of style thing. But it's an opportunity for us to be reminded of just how big and how awesome and how wonderful our God is. And how he is able to be mighty and powerful in our situations. And the thing that I've noticed with a lot of people is that they do like worship, but they only worship when they're at church. They pray when they're at church. They read the Bible through hearing the preaching of the word while they're at church. But God is not looking just to find you at church. God wants to meet with you each and every day. 
And when we take the opportunity to walk with him daily, we no longer just know, we no longer are people that know about God, but then we become people that actually do truly know God and no longer are God of our imagination. So my time is wrapping up. But before I finish, I want to play a video for you guys. This video is not only going to ask you a question, but I believe that this video will also be an encouragement to each and every person in here to recapture the affection they have for the Lord. And if you are a Christian, that it will cause you to leave this place wanting to know your God at a closer, deeper level. And if you're not a Christian in here, that it be an invitation for you to finally invite him into your heart and to live a life that is truly better than anything this world could offer. So without further ado, let's watch this video together. My king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him. For yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop.
trying to describe just how awesome that you are. And God, I pray for each and every person in here that might have been going about their days, not actually knowing who you are, but just knowing enough about you to get by. Jesus, we repent today of living lives that say that, Father, the imagination of you is better than the actual person of you. And we ask, Lord, today that we walk knowing and pursuing the one true living God, accepting your truth, accepting your ways, and loving you more and more from it. And Father, not only will we walk in this goodness and this mercy, but it will also cause for us to share with more and more people just how great and how mighty and how awesome our God is and how better he is than anything else this world can offer. Let us make the world a better place because we know the one true God and no longer live a life of the gods of our imagination. And Jesus, we pray this and believe for this now in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.